by God, and uh, He truly is great and greatly to be praised. And so uh, today is a, uh, a good day where we get to celebrate baptism, and we get to celebrate baptism and communion in the same service, and both of them are pictures of the gospel. And so the gospel is going to be not only visually demonstrated, but it's also going to be preached today, and so we get to hear, see, and touch the gospel today uh, as we worship. So that's exciting. So I want to go ahead and start off by praying, because we're going we're to touch a little bit of a sensitive subject today, and we've got a lot of ground to cover very quickly. So let's go ahead and just pray. So Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity we have to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I pray that for this time, as we dedicate our hearts and our minds and ourselves to your word, I pray that you will drown out every distraction, that you will give us ears to hear, give us a heart to receive, help us to be challenged where we need to be challenged, encouraged, where, and receive that encouragement where we need to be encouraged. And God, I pray that as this broken vessel, that may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' most precious and holy name, amen. I hope you guys are enjoying our journey through the book of Ephesians. Y'all enjoying our trek through the book of Ephesians? I am enjoying it as well. And so let me go ahead and just bring us up to speed where we've been at, okay? So starting off in chapter 1, it's really good. Here's an encouragement to you, by the way. I've been encouraging you guys as we're going through the book of Ephesians to be reading along with us. But my encouragement to you, it's only six chapters, is that take it and make it a regular habit during this time to read it in one sitting. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been going back to Ephesians as I've been studying and prepping and just reading it in one sitting over and over and over again. And one of the things that I noticed this week is that as we look at the structure of the book, it makes sense why Paul places what we're going to talk about today in the specific position that it's talked about. So just to, uh, just to recap, a couple of weeks ago when we started this uh, series, we introduced the book, but then we talked a little bit about all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ in chapter 1. There were six spiritual blessings that Paul laid out that we receive when we come and we place our faith in Christ. If I could give you two words that the book of Ephesians is all about, it's in Christ. We're actually going to hear that a lot today as well. In Christ, all of these different things that happen because of our connection and relationship to Jesus. Last week we looked at, basically what I like to say is uh, what, what, it, what it looked like for the Ephesian believers before they came to faith in Jesus, and then what their condition was after they came to faith in Jesus. And remember that the description that he gives, which is not very good, verses 1 to 3 in chapter 2, also reflect the position of every person who has not placed their faith in Christ. This is what we looked like before we came to know him. These were the things. We were dead in our trespassing and sin. We were, uh, we were living according to the prince of the power of the air. All of these things, sons of disobedience, children of wrath, all this very terrible description. But God, verse 4, the two most graceful words in all the scripture. But God then intercedes into the picture and Jesus then makes it possible for us by grace through faith to be able to receive him and to then enter into a relationship with him. So that's what he shifts, he talks, he's bringing this church back to think back and then to see what God has done presently. And he's going to do the same thing in a different way in the passage that we're going to look at today. So that's important. Just as a way of reminder, our one true statement last week is that when we understand how lost we were, only then can we really appreciate how amazing God's grace is. So when we understand how lost we were, only then can we really appreciate how amazing God's grace is. 
So today we're going to look at the division that existed between Jewish and Gentile believers. The church at Ephesus was a multicultural and diverse church. And you had these Jewish believers, and then you also had Gentiles was an all-encapsulating word to talk about anybody else who was non-Jewish descent. Uh, ethnically speaking. So you had this mismatch of all these different types of people in this very mercantile city uh, in Ephesus where this church was. And so Paul is going to deal with some underlying division that's happening between these different groups of believers. And uh, this speaks so vividly and poignantly to our world today because our world is a world that is divided. We live in a divided world. We divide over so many different things. And Paul is going to tell these believers that those who are in Christ, they, even though they are acting divided, they're not supposed to be because Christ has made them one. He has made them into one man, one body, one, one, one organization, one organism that we call the church. Now, back in the day, you remember uh, vending machines, how before the days of Apple uh, Pay and Google Pay, you actually had to use something like this. Hey, guess what, students? This is called money, all right? So this is currency, all right? So, you know, I know that we don't use this now much nowadays, and uh, Chris and Vanessa don't know they made a donation to the Adrian Fund today. But, um, but, but here we go. So I had to ask people for money. That goes to show you I don't even use this myself. So... When you went to the vending machine and you wanted to go ahead and make a purchase, what you would do is you would go ahead and slide this into the machine. Ideally, the machine would take the money and then tell you how much credit you have. You pop in a specific number and you get your item. Now, if you were like me, you experienced on more than one occasion trying to go to a vending machine when your money got spit right back out. Anybody ever have that experience, right? Your money got rejected, right? Now, your money got rejected. It didn't mean that the value of your money was rejected, but basically it meant that your bill literally didn't look like it just came off the printing press. I mean, it had to be laser straight in order to be able to, for that, that feeder to be able to accept that thing and to be able to read it. So, uh, y'all probably did this trick like I used to do as well. Y'all remember this? Did like this? Kind of like taking on something that was like, you know, something that was straight and you try to straighten it all out. You, you unbending the little creases on the edges. You know, you're doing something to try to get it and you keep on putting it out, keeps on spitting it back out. Keep on putting it in, keeps on spitting it back out. And uh, it's not that your money is less valuable. Your money is being rejected by the machine, not because of its value, but because of its appearance. Catch what I just said there. The money's being rejected not because of its value, but because of its appearance. The machine will not accept the money if the money does not meet a certain criteria or a certain appearance. You can't go ahead and have a ripped bill. If I ripped this and then taped it, try to throw it inside of a vending machine. It's going to get spit back out and it's going to get rejected. If we can say it this way, your money is being discriminated against. You laugh about that, but when I tell you what the definition of discrimination is, you'll see exactly the point that I'm making. Your money is being judged upon its appearance, not based upon its value. We live in a divided world. We live in a world where it seems like we have groups and categories for every single person and every single individual under the sun. We divide and we, we create categories and we create these polar, uh, you know, opposites that we try to make people generally fit into different type of categories. We have categories like black and white, rich and poor, male, female, or now we have even non-binary gender uh, uh, descriptive terms. 
We also have Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, believers and non-believers, college educated and non-college educated, middle class, working class, poor class, pro-life, pro-abortion, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. We have categories for everything, and we love putting people in categories. And we divide over these categories that we have lumped people into. Here's something that is uh, not news. There's nothing new under the sun. And the reality is, is that even way back when, in the early church, they also had division. They also had discrimination. They also had problems where there were groups that were dividing amongst themselves. The basic distinction was Jew and Gentile. Jew being those who were the people of God, descendants of Israel, who culturally and ethnically were the Jewish people. And then Gentile represented every other group. You have to remember that the Jesus that you served was a Jew. He was a Jew, right? That's not, no, no, that's not new news to you. Culturally, ethnically speaking, he was Jewish. But here comes this Jewish Messiah who then talks about this kind of different thing that even the Jewish people were rejecting him. And the Jews took pride in the fact that God called them as their people. They were longing for this Messiah figure who was going to come. And they, they took a, a certain ethnic pride in the fact that they were the people of God. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to become a person who was accepted by the Jews back when, you would become what's called a proselyte. You would literally have to convert to Judaism, all right? You would convert to Judaism not just religiously, but then you would also adhere to their ethical principles, their laws, all these other different things. You basically forsook your cultural background and basically became a Jew ethnically and culturally speaking. So when Christianity comes up, this new thing that Jesus presented, you could save Jews from their sin, but the Jews' roots and traditions ran deep. Jewish Christians had a hard time accepting the conversion of Gentile believers, going as far as saying they needed to become Jews first, even to become circumcised in order to become believers in Christ. To put this in terms we can understand, we are talking about the rejection by the Jews of other people groups that would not convert to their way of life. That, ladies and gentlemen, is called discrimination. If we actually put a term, a modern term on it, that's exactly what it is. It's discrimination. What is discrimination? Let's make sure we're all working in the same dictionary. It's a term that we all use quite a bit, but let's actually make sure we're working with the same term and in the same dictionary. Discrimination is the practice of treating unfairly a person or group of people differently from others. This does not just relate to race. Racial discrimination is something that we see and it seems to be the most public, but it doesn't just refer to race. We could talk about discrimination in terms of gender. We could talk, talk of uh, discrimination in terms of socioeconomic status. We could talk about uh, discrimination in the workplace, various different ways in which we could talk about discrimination. But here's one way we cannot talk about discrimination is that here's our one true statement today, is I want you to walk away with this and emblazon this in your mind and in your heart. There is no discrimination when it comes to salvation. There is no discrimination when it comes to salvation. Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. He is an equal opportunity savior. He died for all people, all different groups, from all different backgrounds, making it possible for the people who were sinners to come into relationship with the one true God. So there is no discrimination when it comes to salvation. 
So our text this morning is going to be found in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11 is where we're going to start. And I'm going to show you, we're going to look at three different kind of transitions in this passage as Paul works us through this text. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11 is where we're going to pick up. So the first thing we're going to talk about is Paul's going to take them back. He's going to talk again about their former state. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, this is talking about past, right? That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, and why were they Gentiles in the flesh? Called the uncircumcision, a derogatory term, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Why were they called uncircumcised? Why were they Gentiles in the flesh? Because they were not physically circumcised. They didn't have the sign of the covenant. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of pro covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Both the phrase uncircumcised or uncircumcision and Gentile were just derogatory terms. They were terms that were meant to say that you are people that are outside of us. You are rejected. You are not embraced. You are the others. Okay, and so you stay over there. You are not part of us as the people of God. All right, these were derogatory terms. If you think back and you know anything about your Old Testament, one of the signs of the covenant was that Jewish males would be circumcised. Physically in their flesh they would be circumcised, but circumcision wasn't just supposed to be a physical sign. Every time God made his people do something that was some kind of sign, there was always a spiritual significance to it. Circumcision was supposed to represent this cutting away of like sin, to, and it was supposed to represent a cleansing, kind of a purity kind of thing. So it was always a foreshadowing of something that God was doing spiritually speaking. It wasn't just this physical thing that just basically said, now you're part of the club. Welcome to the club because you physically got circumcised. You are now part of the people of God. But here's the interesting thing is that Jews took this physical sign of a way to basically brag and say, well, we're part of the people of God because we have this sign. They have the physical sign, but something physical does not mean that they experience something spiritual. Please hear what I'm saying. Just because they had a physical sign does not mean they experienced something spiritually speaking. As a matter of fact, when we fast forward to the New Testament, the New Testament also talks about circumcision. But it talks about a different kind of circumcision. It talks about circumcision of the hearts. And as a matter of fact, it talks about circumcision in the flesh being something that is null and void and carries no meaning, no significance if circumcision of the heart has not taken place. That true Israel, according to Paul in another one of his letters, that true Israel is those who basically have been circumcised in the heart and not a circumcision of hands, Colossians chapter 2. But in Romans chapter 2 verse 29, talks about circumcision being a matter of the heart that is a work of the Spirit. That we are cut away, that it's like the cutting away, the cleansing away from sin is this spiritual circumcision that takes place in our hearts that shows that we are connected to God and that we have relationship with Him. Just like a physical sign served as a representation, now it's become an inner working to show the workings of our connection and relationship to Jesus. This spiritual type of circumcision. Ladies and gentlemen, you can have all kind of physical signs. Like right now I wear a wedding band. 
If I walk around with this wedding band on my hands, then people should know and look at that and say, okay, that guy's married. That means that they assume and they should rightfully assume that I have some type of relationship, that I am, that I am tied to another person. However, catch this, a ring does not mean you have a relationship. Y'all just catch what I just said? A ring does not necessitate or mean you have a relationship. You may legally have a relationship. You may actually occupy the same space together, but there could be definitely degrees of separation even though you may physically be in the same arena of each other. A ring doesn't signify that you have a relationship. You have a physical sign, but it doesn't mean that other things are happening. It doesn't mean that the depth of relationship is happening. And that's what the Jews are saying. We got a physical sign. And God is saying, you got a physical sign, but ain't nothing going on in here. It needs to go deeper beneath the surface, beyond just the physical sign, to show that this spiritual reality is taking place and happening. To call somebody a, Jew, a Gentile, to call somebody uncircumcised, if we put it in our modern-day vernacular, it'd be like calling somebody who is a, a black man, calling him by the N-word. It'd be like calling a person who is Hispanic, a wetback, or other various different derogatory terms that you could possibly think of. That's basically what they were calling them by calling them Gentiles and calling them, you uncircumcised people. You're so unclean. We don't want nothing to do with you. You're outside the people of God. Don't taint us by your uncleanliness kind of reality. Unfortunately, this is something we still very much live with in our day and age today. Racial discrimination is a very big problem. It's a problem that, we all, that many of us experience. And I don't know if you happen to notice, but me serving as your pastor, my melanin is a little bit dark. A little bit darker. I got a little sweet caramel thing going on here, okay? And this little sweet caramel thing is not just because I, I'm somehow in the sun, okay? But ethnically speaking, I am a minority, okay? I am a minority in very much, uh, very significant way, okay? So ethnically speaking, I'm half Puerto Rican, so my family descends. I'm first generation in the States. And if you know anything about Puerto Rico, its actual history is very mixed in and of itself. There was an Indian tribe that was native to the lands, basically that intermingled with Africans from slave trade and such, and the Spanish who conquered Puerto Rico. So basically, ethnically, we're this melting pot of Spanish, Indian, and African. So that's why you can have some Puerto Ricans who look really dark, and then you have some who maybe look a little bit more like me, and then you can have some that are even lighter, a little bit lighter skin that look like Eastern Europeans, okay? But my family descends from a city called Humacao, uh, which is, you can see on the map, I like maps, and so you can see up here the picture with my grandmother and my other brother, my other brothers, uh, we're about the same complexion, uh, my grandmother, she used to joke and always call herself black, and everybody used to think she was African-American. The picture doesn't really do justice. If you saw her in real life, she's very darker skinned, okay? And then you got my, my whole family, just different pictures of my family there. That's my mother's side of the family. That's where my Puerto Rican side comes from. So that means I love me some good rice and beans, and I love me some salsa, all right? So I, I, I like to salsa dance, all right? Basically, every time the Puerto Ricans get together, it turns into a dance party, all right? Now, that being said... 
Uh, so my other side of my family descends from an island chain off the coast of Africa called the Cape Verde Islands. Now, if you never heard of the Cape Verde Islands, don't worry, most people haven't, unless if you live in Massachusetts, uh, there's a reason why there's a huge population of Cape Verdeans in Massachusetts, because they were came over as slaves to the whaling trade in Massachusetts. And so, if, unless if you're in Massachusetts or in Rhode Island, you probably never heard of a Cape Verdean, you look at me like I have three eyes, like most people do when I tell them that. But here's this African chain that basically was uninhabited until it, until it was ex, uh, discovered by the Portuguese. The Portuguese then basically inhabited this. It became a big shipping port. It became a place of trade and commerce, and they traded in slaves. And so because of that, you have Africans and Portuguese that mix together essentially, and that's where you get Cape Verdeans. So our culture, basically on that side of the family, which this is a picture of my, my aunts, uh, who are all Cape Verdean, 100%. Unfortunately, two of them are not with us anymore. Um, is basically also a mixed group and mixed bag, ethnically speaking. I myself have been a product and have received numerous different discriminatory things toward me because of my race. And, if, and I'm in a biracial relationship. And I've experienced that even at the hand of Christians, unfortunately. So this is a very real reality for me. Uh, when, I, when I talk about this and I see in the text that unfortunately this is a very real reality that's not new to our culture right now, but it's something that Paul understood in his day and age as well. These Gentiles were ethnically rejected by the nation of, uh, by the nation of Israel. Jews saw them as being unclean, not fit to be part of the people of God. If you want to join us, okay, God makes provision for that, but basically you have to no longer be whatever uh, ethnic group you are part of, you're now a Jew. You basically have to come and you have to incorporate into us. You proselytize, you become a Jew, you follow Jewish laws, you do all of these different things. And then Paul's making a point, he's like, no. He's like, no. God saved Jew and Gentile and made us into this one family, and he's going to break down the, that dividing wall. If we look at verse 12, verse 12 highlights five disadvantages that the Gentiles had in comparison to the Jews. Very quickly to read these. Five disadvantages. Number one, they were separated from Christ. That means that they did not have the hope of the Messiah coming to them. The Messiah was coming to the Jews, to the Jewish people. So they were separated in that way from Christ until Christ made the way for them to be part of his people. They were alienated from Israel. This was big because that meant, again, they were outside of God's promises to his people Israel and to his covenants with them. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. They were without hope. And they were without God in the world, meaning they had no relationship with God, period. This is very important for you and I today because unless if you're under the sound of my voice and you ethnically descend from Israel, then that means that this is you. This is me. That we have now been engrafted in. We, are now, we have now been brought in by Christ into these beautiful promises that we have now as the people of God. That we can be part of his family. That is until, what did Jesus do? He broke down the dividing wall. Look at verse 13. He broke down the wall of hostility. He broke down this division that existed between Jew and Gentile. Verse 13. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far off, talking about Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What a beautiful way that that's written. Has broken down in his flesh. By his dying, has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, you should be asking yourself, what exactly is the dividing wall of hostility that is mentioned? This peace that Jesus gives is a result of this breaking down of this dividing wall. But Jesus is our source of peace, not only with God, but with others. He makes it possible that we have uh, peace with God. That's justification, by the way. That's the result of the righteousness we receive from God. We have peace then with God. We're in right relationship with him. But he also makes it possible for us to have peace with others. Because he made Jew and Gentile into one group. If you think about it for a moment, what other organization in all of the world can speak of that it has representation in every ethnic group that is unified under one umbrella except the church. Think about it. The church is the only organization, the only organism that can say that we have representation from all these different people groups that are all under the banner of one banner and his name is Jesus. Only Christ can do that. So God doesn't discriminate when he comes to salvation because it is for all groups. Matthew chapter 28, what we often call the Great Commission. In 28 verse 19, it says to go and make disciples of all nations, right? The word nations in Greek is the word ethnos. You could kind of determine just by the saying of that word, what word we get from that. What word comes out of that? That's the word ethnic. Literally, when he says all nations, he's talking about all people groups. Go and make disciples of all people groups baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 has this beautiful picture where it talks about that there will be people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation before the throne of God singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. In this beautiful picture of what it will be like in glory where we're all joined together. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait until it's that day. I, wanna, I want this place to look a little bit more like that place. I want to see every tribe. I want to see every tongue. I want to see every nation bowing down and worshiping together and singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's what I want to see. Jesus isn't a white Jesus. He isn't a black Jesus. He isn't a Hispanic Jesus. He isn't any representation of a picture you may have hanging at your house. All you need to know is that Jesus is a Savior who is one for all. Okay? He is the Savior of all of mankind, regardless of people, group, ethnicity, anything of that nature. Christ brings this hostility down by tearing down this wall of hostility. What is this wall? There's a number of different views about this, by the way, which we can't get into, but I'm just going to tell you what my perspective is, and it seems to be the majority view of what this actually means. Most people believe that this dividing wall between Jew and Gentile is a metaphor. Paul's using it as a metaphor. What was the dividing wall that existed between Jew and Gentile? What made Jews distinct was the law. That was the dividing wall. That's what divided them and made them distinct. So the only way a Jew and Gentile could be unified into one man was that the results of that law would be fulfilled. And guess who fulfilled that? As Paul said, in his flesh. 
Christ was the one who fulfilled the law. And thus fulfilling the law, remember he said when he came, he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. So in his fulfillment of the law, Christ has now made it possible but that these two can then become one in his flesh as he broke it down. He broke down this dividing wall. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I, if you are here today and you're a believer in Jesus, we have the message of reconciliation, not only to be reconciled to God, but to be reconciled to one another. The gospel is the hope to bring unity to a broken world. The gospel is the only hope. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And we have that message. Christ can bring together Jew and Gentile. If he can do that, he certainly can bring together Democrats and Republicans. He certainly can bring together whites and blacks. He can even bring together Cowboys and Eagles fans. <laughs> he can even bring those together in fellowship and in unity. I believe it. By faith, he can bring together Cowboys and Eagle fans. All right? At least he will in this church. All right? The, the Eagle fans in the crowd, if there's any one of you don't want to self-identify right now. They're like, I don't self-identify as an Eagle fan. But he can bring together the rich and the poor, and the list goes on. This is so relevant for us today. Look at verse 15. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. I love that. One new man in place of the two. So making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. So only a savior who is killed can kill discrimination. Only the fact that Jesus died and he becomes our peace, he becomes that vehicle that he's our prince of peace as scripture declares him to be, only because of his death and, the, and through his flesh then can he kill, can we then kill and walk in non-discrimination. Here's the sad reality, is discrimination, what it really says, especially when it's functional in the life of a believer, discrimination says this, that you are only worthy to be saved by my standard and not God's. Whoo, we don't want to say that. It says, well, you know, I don't know if God can really save that person. I don't know, they might be a little too far gone for the gospel to be able to reach them. If we took time to all tell our stories, I'm sure that there was a time when you thought and you could imagine and say, I don't know how I got here. I'll tell you right now, I was pretty lost and pretty far gone. But the gospel has the ability to save every person. It's not deficient in its power. You cannot make that judgment call about who God can save. Because we never know who we're going to bump into when we get to heaven. Some of y'all will be surprised. We'll all of a sudden walk, be walking the streets of gold, and then all of a sudden we'll be like, oh man, I didn't realize he got in. <laughs> oh man, his house is next to me too. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to those of you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So those who are far off, the Gentiles, were also then brought near as the Jews were. And Jesus preached to both of these groups. His message was offered to both of these groups. If we could say it this way, the gospel is one size fits all. The gospel is one size fits all. Verse 19. 
So in Christ, he creates this new people. Formerly, he was telling them, this is what you looked like when you were outside as Gentile believers outside the covenant of faith. And then now you've been brought in and God's broken down this dividing wall. And so now he's made them into a new people, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So this new people that God is building, Jew and Gentile together, I love this illustration of being built up like a house. Where Christ is the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the foundation stone upon which everything else was built. So Christ is that bedrock and then everything else is built up on top of that. So here is stone after stone after stone after stone that's being built up into this beautiful thing. This one person, this one man, this one house. I look around this room, I see a whole bunch of living stones that are all being built up upon this foundation that we call Jesus. The chief cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place. I love that. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So as this building up is happening, as Jew and Gentile are in this one person, this one man, now they're being built up where the Spirit of God can then be there and is working through there in this thing, and we're all brought together under the banner of Jesus. As the Spirit is doing his work, God created this new thing called the church, comprised of Jew and Gentile under the banner of Jesus, in which he dwells, making them a holy and living temple. The church, ladies and gentlemen, is a beautiful expression of the diversity. Uh, it's a beautiful expression of diversity in the person of Jesus. Christ brings together Jew and Gentile. Christ brings together rich, poor. Christ brings together black, white. Christ brings together the... Every single division that you possibly can think of that we like to divide ourselves into groups as ways to ostracize people, Christ in interjects in the middle of that and says, no, those people that respond to me in faith are brought together into one family. Families look different, don't they? Families don't always look the same. Families don't always think the same. Families fight often as well. But then you know what? Families make up because those relationships are worth salvaging. So then families come back to the table and they come back together. Why? Because there's an anchoring of love. How much more do we have a firm anchor to stand upon? His name is Jesus. That brings us back over and over again. And we come and we do this thing together. And here we go as the people of God and saying we are going to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ because Christ has made this thing beautiful beautiful in its uniqueness and diversity. Let me summarize this for you and we're going to finish. So the first thing we talked about, our one true statement was that there is no discrimination when it comes to salvation. Christ is an equal opportunity savior, as we said. There's no discrimination when it comes to salvation. We saw three basic kind of ways that Paul was orchestrating this passage, three movements. Number one is he brought them back. He said, you were once far off. And he talked to them about their former state. And then he talked to them about how Christ breaks down the dividing wall, the wall of the law, which made the Jews distinct. He has broken that down now that he's fulfilled the law and through his flesh has made it possible that there can be reconciliation and relationship. And then Christ comes up with and he makes this new people that comprises of these two groups that were once hostile to one another who are now unified under the banner of Jesus as the church. 
So let me leave you with one question and one response. I want you to ask yourself a very serious question. And here's the question I want you to ask. Is there some area of my life where I have shown discrimination toward another person? That's a very honest question and a very hard question to wrestle with. The reality is, is that we all fall into it, sometimes subtly, sometimes overtly. It doesn't have to be a racial thing, but there are other ways that we can look down upon other people, individuals, and we find ourselves falling into this at times. This is a church that he's talking to, and this church is exhibiting this kind of activity that he's bringing course correction to. So just ask yourself that question. Do some honest reflection and be serious with you and God about it. The second thing I want to encourage you with is asking the one question, now how do we respond? I think we respond by being a peacemaker. This is so much more of something we need in our world. We need more people who are peacemakers. We don't need more people throwing off random tweets. We don't need more people throwing more fire onto the flame on Facebook and thinking you're going to win a Facebook argument and make yourself look good and then all of a sudden all you've done is make Christ look bad. We don't need that. What we need is we need more people whose words are seasoned with grace and with salt, who are people who are people of peace. People who can be ones who can quell hostility. People who have the gift of encouragement and not discouragement. We need more people like that in the world. We need more people like that in the body of Christ. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Did he not? That's one of the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. We have so much division in a world that is so desperately divided. We need not only to preach peace with God, that's salvation, but we also need to walk in peace with others. We need to walk in peace with others even when they don't agree with us. Because it's not about them, it's ultimately about our heart and our actions and attitudes before our Lord. Let's be a people of peace. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you that you are the one who breaks down every dividing wall. That you are the hope for salvation. You are the hope for a broken and dying world. You are the one who brings peace. I pray that as the people of God, that we would not hear, uh, here at Firewheel, that we would emulate um, with you, the help of your spirit and by your grace. That, Lord, that we would be ones that would not walk in subtle or overt discrimination toward other individuals. I pray that this place would look a little bit more like heaven. That, Lord, that you would draw in people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That, Lord, we would worship together under the banner of which brought us together the chief cornerstone. His name is Jesus. We want that to be a living reality and a living hope. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be peacemakers in a world that is so desperately in need of grace, peace. And to walk that fine line between grace, uh, to speak in truth and in love. So if you're here today under the sound of my voice and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, it's only in Christ can we experience the benefits of being connected to the people of God. But only in Christ have we have to have peace with God first. And that peace with God comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When we place our faith, that means trust. We trust that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried and he rose again. And if we place our faith and trust in him and not in ourselves, then we are saved and we are brought into God's family.
If that's you today, where you're standing, even under the sound of your, just in the quietness of your heart, all you simply have to say is, Lord, I believe. I believe that you died upon the cross for my sins. I believe that you made it a way possible that I can have peace with you, peace with God. That only comes through the sacrifice of Jesus. I believe that you died and that you rose again, and I pray that you would make me a new creation today and help me to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' most precious and holy name we could pray. Amen. So folks, we're going to actually structure things a little bit differently right now. We're actually, those of you who are getting baptized, if y'all want to start making your way there, we are actually going to worship the Lord through giving right now. So we're going to take our offering, and as we do that, people are going to transition over to get ready for baptism. And then we are going to actually uh, see a visual picture of the gospel as we celebrate with these folks who have taken that next step of faith and have... Uh, said that they wanted to make Jesus, they, they, that they're serious about their relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to go ahead and just take a moment to pray for our offering. If the ushers will come forward, then we'll go ahead and pray. I want to thank you all for your gracious giving. Uh, we recognize that this is an expression of worship as well. God doesn't need our money, but money is a tool to be able to be used so that God's kingdom work can actually be extended. And so God utilizes that so that way we can actually be able to do the work that God has called us to here at Firewheel. So let me go ahead and pray a blessing over that, and then we'll get ready for baptism. So Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity we have to worship through giving. We thank you that you are the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I pray that you would take this offering and that you would cause it to multiply, that, Lord, your kingdom work may continue to go forward here at Firewheel. Lord, may you bless the gift and the giver, Lord, and 